We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey... Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Very special episode today. We're joined by Randy Wilkins, director of the Captain Derek Jeter documentary. Randy, just awful job with the documentary. I, I freaking hated it. Um, so I'm I'm here to lay into you. No, I'm just thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate the intro and how much you hated it and still wanted to speak with me. So thank you. I appreciate it. Have you ever gotten a gotcha interview like that where someone acts like they they were a fan of your work and then it's like, hey, man, I did not like that at all. Uh, nah, but uh, there were a couple places that wrote like very trashy reviews of it. And it was very obvious that they just didn't like Derek. Yeah. So. <laughs> Uh, they just use that as um, an avenue to like just talk about the film. So uh, I take that as a badge of honor. I appreciate it. You know, they still watch, they engage, and it's very clear what their agendas were. So um, yeah, I mean, all that stuff is entertaining to me. I don't take it personally. Were those so, uh, the writers of those articles? Did they happen to be in Boston or Queens? Uh, one was in Boston. Uh, one was actually a Hollywood reporter, and I was like, you don't even. I mean, you're not even like a sports journalist. What's your problem yeah. with Derek? Um, couple, couple from Queens. You know, a lot of tweets from people uh, that represent that no-name team in Queens. So, uh, but that's to be expected. You know, it's all good. They watched it anyway, so it doesn't really matter. So, a couple of things, man. First of all, just congratulations on on landing the gig. This is like, I think, as a Yankee Yankee blogger, a guy who's been in the space for a really long time. Um, I know you were back with uh, River Avenue Blues. You guys got the views from three three fourteen. You guys have a really awesome corner of of Yankees coverage. Uh, highly analytical. I've I've been an admirer of River Avenue Blues uh, for for a long time. It actually was one of the reasons why I started Bronx Pinstripes nice. many many moons ago. Um, and uh, so congratulations on that, man. Because this is like 
I don't know. It feels like a Super Bowl type of type of uh, type of job with Derek Jeter. You know, he's the guy that we all grew up with, and I I don't think I realized how much he. I don't know if I could say he what he meant to me, but what he meant to my childhood and what he meant to just the backdrop of me being a Yankees fan until I watched some of this stuff. And I will say the the last episode episode we've done a recap for every uh, every um, episode or every week. And this last one, man, you got me. You got me with the going back and forth with him and his dad uh, from the draft to the um, to the Hall of Fame. And I'm sitting there thinking of the relationship with my son, who's five years old. And it's just it's like that that connection is 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 crazy. And that was the biggest thing. One of the biggest things I took away from this was the relationship that that Derek had with his parents. And we all knew that because they were always in the stands. We, we always saw them. But that it was such an intimate, like strong bond between uh, between the parents, and I thought that was I thought that was one of the coolest things because you really could tell why he is the way he is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think uh, you can't really can't really tell this story without including Derek's family. I mean, it's, they're very clearly the foundation of who he is, the type of man that he is, the way that he played baseball, the way that he viewed baseball. I mean, a lot of it traces back to his parents and his sister. Um, and we said amongst ourselves that once we interviewed uh, Dr. Jeter and Mrs. Jeter, that the, the film was elevated, that the film became special. Not that we didn't think it was going to be special to begin with, but they were so open and vulnerable and um, just emotional that it just created an emotional spine for the film that we were looking for while we were in production. And they, they provided it, especially his mom. So, um, yeah, I think that sequence with the Hall of Fame call and going back to the draft, I think it gets everybody um, because now you've been through this journey with them. So, you know, just how much more it means, because now you're you have a glimpse of what their uh, their journey was together. So, um, yeah, very proud of that episode. I think uh, also the inclusion of, of Hannah's struggles with her two pregnancies just adds on top of this theme of family that we were developing throughout the entire series. So. Yeah, I'm very proud of that episode. Hannah was very forthcoming uh, about the the struggles they went through. And that's something I'm, I'm curious if you had any hesitancy at all going into the project on the fact that Jeter might not be as open as someone could be in a documentary about themselves because Jeter's been guarded his entire career. And, I, and, and it never feels like he lets anyone from the outside into his his inner circle. I mean, that was also a big theme in the documentary. Hannah was very forthcoming, and I think Jeter even joked at one point, like, oh, maybe she's talking too much or something like that. She's sharing too much. Because even if even in a setting where he's he's being interviewed about a documentary about himself, I still feel like he's not a hundred percent honest and open on some things. And that's just the type of person he is. I think he even probably said that's maybe a character flaw in myself. So I'm curious if you had any hesitancy going into this. Well, first, I mean, he was honest. There wasn't a moment where he wasn't honest. Now, was he totally I think there's open? one. I have one where I don't think he was honest. <laughs> Which one? When he said, I did not have a problem that we were trading for Alex Rodriguez. I think he did. Oh, no, I don't. No, I don't think he had a problem. Okay. I mean, I obviously, think... you're going to know better than me. I think if they asked him to move off of short, he would have had a problem. Sure. But sure. I mean, I think, you know, his position was his position. So if you want to come there and win, like the one thing I learned about Derek, and this is from a lot of people also, I mean, like Brian Cashman all the way through to 
you know, people that are his friends that had nothing to do with Major League Baseball, they were, the one thing they kept saying was Derek is honest. Like, if that's what he thinks, that's what he's going to say. Like, he's not going to beat around the bush. So I, I totally believe him when he said he was fine with it. But I think the qualifier is because he didn't have to leave shortstop. Now, right. if they asked him to move to center field, he would have had a problem. Um, but I didn't have any hesitancy because we spoke a lot before uh, the project got going. You know, like the very first time I met him was on a Zoom with him and Spike Lee. And we were on the on the Zoom for about an hour and a half. And we talked about it. Like in order for this to be successful, you know, Derek has to open up a little bit and, and reveal things that he didn't before. And he was well aware of it. He knew that it wasn't going to work if he treated me like a beat reporter. Right. Yeah. Um, so... I had full confidence. I know the world didn't, but I was the one speaking with him. You know what I mean? So it's one of those situations where people are making assumptions, which are valid based off his career and how he treated the media and interacted with the public. But I actually had access to him. So it was something that we talked about multiple times. He was telling me stuff like within the first couple of times I met him. Um, the the complications with Hannah's uh, pregnancies, he told me the second time I had ever spoken to him. Um, so if he's telling me, he's comfortable telling the world, you know what I mean? Because we hadn't really built built up a trust or a rapport that we have now. Um, so yeah, I, I wasn't worried. There wasn't any hesitancy. I think when I first got the call, I did. But once I spoke to him, that went away pretty quickly. Once you first got the call, you didn't have all those qualifiers, I assume. And, and you had to for you to do this right, I assume that you had to have that that belief that he was going to open up in in certain ways. Um, I'm interested to hear more about you and and kind of your journey to this point a little on the on the directing side as well. I think a lot of people know you from from uh, from the Yankees world, but I'm very curious. I've you know seen some of your stuff, and I follow you on Twitter. Um, obviously, you mentioned Spike Lee. You, you've you've worked with him in the past. He came up. Uh, can you talk more about like how you got to this point and I uh, definitely want to give you your shine on 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 your 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 director's career because it's it's uh it's 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 impressive man I, it, the the whole first of all the music thank you thank you thank you for bringing in the the, the first couple episodes <laughs> with the music the, it was it was perfect it was it was thank it was you. good the 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 blend of of like 90s hip hop with Frank Sinatra at the key points it's like only a Yankees fan knows how to blend that music yeah. uh and, and and hit those moments the way that they were so hell of a job with that but yeah can you talk Thank about you. your career, man, and, and uh, on the director side? Uh, yeah, so uh, without going through, like, every detail and boring people, um, I was uh, I had a tryout with the Kansas City Royals between my junior and senior year in college. Uh, and then right after that, a couple months later, I blew my knee out. Uh, so, like, baseball was out the window, whatever little chance I had with that. Um, but I, my senior year in college, I needed to get an art credit. I kept dropping art classes. Because uh, I was like, I'm not an artist. Like, this is stupid. Why am I doing this? And the only class that was available was a video narrative course. Um, so I took that. And within 10 minutes of the first class, I connected. To, I knew immediately what the professor was telling me. Uh, her name is Mary Haverstick. Yeah, she was an alum of the school. She was a working filmmaker. And she was teaching this class. And she just said, film is language. There's a craft behind it. And she started showing Spike films. Uh, Spike Lee films. And within 10 minutes, I knew exactly what she was talking about. I knew what it meant. I could see it on the screen. It was almost as if I knew the language and didn't realize that I knew it. Um, so fast forward a year or two later, I ended up staying at the school to work and I met Spike 
uh, he actually came to the school and um, was a guest of the school for over the course of two days. And uh, I ended up being his host. I had been doing some documentaries for the school and I gave him a copy of the doc and he watched it. And right before he left, uh, I asked him, you know, what do I need to work on? You know, like it's the only time I'm going to meet Spike Lee in my life. You mind. gave Spike so, Lee your mixtape is what yeah. you did. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. So I was like, uh, you know, I'm never going to meet this dude again. I'm never going to talk to him again. Let me just see what he says. And he said I needed to learn how to make narrative films. And I was so green that I didn't even know what that meant. I was like, what's a narrative film? Not realizing it's just scripted. And uh, I was like, okay, cool. Like, I don't know what that is or whatever, but I'll I'll pay, I'll pay figure it out. And um, he gave me his email address and he said, if you want to go to NYU grad film school, I'll give you a recommendation. And I was like, man, this dude is totally BSing me. Like, this is not real. Like, this is some fake email. So I emailed him right away and uh, he responded and he was like, apply to NYU. So that was what I did for like the next week because I hadn't missed the deadline. He, I met him after the deadline had passed. Yeah. Um, so fast forward, I got into NYU eventually. They waitlisted me. So I had to wait the whole summer to get in. Then I got in um, and Spike took me under his wing. So while I was learning directing at NYU, I was working with Spike. So I worked on Inside Man and When the Levees Broke and all those films. I was honing my directing skills. Uh, and then eventually I just started working for Spike. I came up through uh, the post department with him, ended up being one of his editors, but I was still making stuff on the side. Uh, so I had my thesis film at NYU that ended up on HBO. Um, what, year, what year was this? This is like around, well, I started at NYU in 2004 and then I graduated in 2009. So when my okay. thesis film was on HBO, it was around 2010. Um, so I was working with Spike, but still like doing my own thing. I was making web series and um, doing different things. And then I think the thing that kind of like changed my directing career was actually directing Spike in the premiere episode of the Apple Plus TV show, uh, Deer. And I think that uh, when I did that, and it happened during the pandemic, so a lot of people were able to watch at the same time. Um, obviously there was a lot going on in 2020. And um, I think, that kind of just like changed the trajectory of my directing career. And then a lot of things started falling into place. And then um, the Jeter thing happened. I knew about Jeter right before Deer actually premiered. That was uh, right when I had the, the phone call with Spike. But uh, Deer clearly put me on the map for a lot of people um, directing wise. Damn, that's, awesome. that's such a that's such a cool story. Like you think about the sliding door moments. Like uh, if you had just taken that one art credit, just like a bullshit right. art credit, like you might never have found your passion. That's I mean that's such a that's such a fortunate thing, but also such a cool thing that that's yeah. how it worked out. That's a really fun story. Yeah. Also, I mean, if I didn't blow my knee out, uh, right. if I didn't tear my ACL, like we're not talking, right. we're not here together. Yeah. So I don't, know, I don't know. Maybe maybe you're playing in the majors. You never know. Nah, that wasn't gonna happen. I wasn't that good. <laughs> it would have been cool, but I wasn't that good. Yeah, you're riding buses so, in the minors, struggling. Yeah, exactly. Along. At the yeah. most, at the most. Yeah, yeah. But I, go ahead, yeah. Andrew. No, I was just gonna say, like, there, there was there were so many um, eye-opening moments in the documentary for me, and I think when Scott and I heard about this documentary before it even aired, we were talking. It's like. I hope we learned some things about the Jeter story that we didn't know. 
And you did such a good job at finding those things and sprinkling them throughout. Obviously, all of the all of a lot of the baseball stuff. If you're a Yankees fan, you obviously know, know all that. But the ins and outs and the behind the scenes stuff was so cool. And to to get Jeter to really talk about his personality and his character flaws to me was one of the most interesting things of of the entire series because that's not something I had heard before. You know, maybe you can think it, but like to hear him talk about how he's an I, I told you so person, which I related to, and how he he has a problem letting people in. Once they wrong him, he won't let them back in. And maybe he would have done some things differently with the whole A-Rod relationship, maybe would have uh, smoothed things over a little bit sooner or something like that. So I'm curious if there's anything that you learned from doing it uh, about Jeter, about anyone related to Jeter that was sort of an eye-opening moment for you. Uh, I didn't realize how much of an impact uh, his biracial identity has on him and how he sees the world um, because he just he really didn't talk about that stuff when no. uh, he was playing. So I think understanding how that shaped his worldview and again, going back to his parents, his mom being so open and honest about their experiences in Kalamazoo, like when she said that she wanted to leave after a year or two, I never knew that. I mean, that, that was never spoken about um, and how it impacted all of them really shifted the focus of what the story could be in my mind. Um, we didn't want it to be heavy handed where it's just like one sequence and then we like run away from it. We wanted it to be sprinkled throughout. Um, but I think that that was one thing that really, really changed my understanding of who Derek is and this idea of people, him not being comfortable with people looking at him off the field, but when he got on the field, he wanted everyone to look at him was probably one of the most interesting um, views of his life and career that I would have never thought of if if we didn't do this. You know what I mean? So uh, I think that immediately stands out. There are other things, but that was, that's probably at the top of the list. I think he said as he's as he's walking down the street, people would comment, "What are you looking at? Who are you looking at?" He's always like keeping yeah. an eye out because well, his sister, his sister would yeah. say that, yeah. yeah, yeah, because them growing up in Kalamazoo with a black father and a white mother, they they were they were looked at that way, and so yeah, that certainly shaped how he ended up being able to deal with the New York media. I think Buck Showalter made that point in the documentary, um, and then obviously, like a big moment with that was what Wally Matthews said. That that Derek Jeter has he shown his face yet? Is colorless since it aired? Uh, he, I think his Twitter. Yeah, but I think he did that before. Okay, so full transparency, I contacted Wally before the episode aired to let him know that this was coming because I I was cool with Wally. I still am. I mean, I don't. He said it. I didn't put the words in his mouth. Wally Um, says what's on his mind. That's what he always. Yeah, what he's always done. Right. So I gave him a heads up out of respect for him that this is in it. The Jeters respond pretty strongly. You are probably going to get criticized. I mean, it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. So out of respect for him, I gave him a heads up. The thing with his Twitter, I think, happened before I even spoke to him. I think something else happened. I'm not sure what it is or was. Um, I know uh, Andrew Marshan probably had an issue with it because all of a sudden he started trashing the film like on the last night of the final episode which just happened to be a week after the thing with wally happened um but yeah i mean we're all kind of surprised that he said it um i was i was definitely taken aback i wasn't expecting him to say that um 
And then did he, he clar- kind of- did he try and clarify what he was saying, or that, that was what we saw in the documentary was exactly how it played out in the interview? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's if if he had clarified it, we would have included it. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm not trying to make anybody look like no, a bad guy. I think that that's I'm not. I'm not. I, I yeah, no, I know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So yeah, because we we asked follow up questions later in the interview, and then that's when he said the thing about do we ask the president of the United States who's playing third base tonight, and yeah. the whole stay in your lane thing that came after the color listing. So uh, we tried to give him an opportunity to clarify or pull it back or explain what he meant. And then he kept going. So uh, that was his view of it. You know what I mean? So to your point, it's not something that Jeter was very vocal about through his playing career. He's been more vocal about it. I think towards the end of his career and his post playing days and talking about being the first African-American CEO of a major league baseball team and him making a point to hire um, minorities in in high level positions, you know, female general manager and things like that. So I feel like he's been much more vocal about it in recent years than he was during his playing days, because to your point, I mean, I was also, you know, 12 years old when I was watching Derek, you know, like, that wasn't on my mind. I'm curious, like, did he go, how many hits did he get tonight? That's what I cared about. I, I wasn't necessarily concerned with if he's identifying as black or white. Um, but maybe if I was a little bit older in those days, that would have been something that would have crossed my mind. And that was just, that was one of the things that he was not talking about. Like the man right. kept the business talk about between anything. the lines. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't, I mean, he, he explains why he didn't talk yeah. about it. I think part of it was the culture of the time. I think, the thing with Wally's comment is that he made an assumption yes, based on the yeah. fact that Derek just didn't talk. Yeah. I mean, none of them spoke. Um, so I think that the thing, the problem is that he, he took it one step further rather than just saying we didn't, you know, we didn't really go to him because he didn't talk about it. He, did, he gave the impression he didn't want to talk about it, which I think is totally fair to say. Yeah. But then it, it was like the next step that became the problem. You know what I mean? It just And just that terminology and that word is you know, not the best one. So awful word to describe, but even if we're giving Wally the benefit of the doubt, which, um, you know, it sounds like you still have a a cordial relationship with Wally, like just awful choice of, of words to describe what he was trying to say. Um, Randy. And we even, we even included Wally in the next episode to talk about the contract stuff. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't trying to, I'm not trying to judge him. That's not my job in this. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
how did this whole thing come about? Was it was it Jeter's was it Jeter's idea to to put this out? Because it feels like a lot of his a lot of his views and a lot of his motivations have changed once he you know once he got married, once he had kids, and and perspective has changed. I think, and and I think when in in the last episode when you when you hear from Hannah and you hear about the the struggles they had, um, you know, having the the kids, you, your mind thinks differently. I know mine did when when I ha- I have a I have a son that's that's had some um, the health health issues, and you just you go to different places. You you think about things differently. How, how much of this was him trying to put? And I know he he did mention it that it was this was a lot of it for his children. But was that the was that the pure motivation in the beginning of this to to tell the story so that he has this legacy? peace and he can look back and reflect and, and his his kids can uh can point to something uh you know years down the road yeah that's that was the primary inspiration he didn't come up with the idea he was approached with the idea but i think going through the hall of fame call uh having that camera crew there and um having his family there his two daughters at the time he has three now i think going through that he understood that you know, there's something for his daughters to remember him by because he always was like, what's next? What's next? Yeah, and he yeah. didn't have a record of it. You know what I mean? So, right. yeah, I think his kids have a tremendous amount to do with this thing being in existence. And um, I think part of it, too, is the idea that he didn't chronicle his own career. You know, he didn't really take the time to think about things. And I think that's something that he yeah. always spoke about with his parents. But, yeah, his kids, his kids are the reason why this thing happened. He yeah. did the one thing with HBO right around the time he had the three thousand hits, but it was right. like a it was like a one off thing. And from what I remember about it, I haven't seen it since it aired. It, it was pretty vanilla stuff that that he was talking because he was still he was still playing at the time. So right. it it was sort of it was cool because we had never seen Jeter do anything like that before. But it was not nearly as interesting and in depth as this series was. Yeah, I mean, I, this one he knew that this was going to be about him. And yeah. not like the chase for 3,000 hits, you know, that right. this wasn't going to work or really happen if he didn't reveal who he is and was. Because um, that's really the point of the film. I mean, it's not really just to be a, you know, a trip down memory lane or a Yankeeography. It's really like this is who this guy was during these uh, these times. What is, want, uh, uh, go ahead. Ro- Andrew, the, uh, the relationship between Derek Jeter and Alex Rodriguez. That's you, where you I were, was going. So good. You were in the room. And, and by the way, were you, were you asking all the questions when, when, when yeah, Jeter, yeah. was that you sitting there? Okay. Yeah. In my head, I had you sitting there watching the uh, answer asking the questions. What, what's your take on, on that relationship? And I, I thought it was super interesting at the end, how, um, how Hannah vocalized her and like, set, you know, give almost like give him a break. Like he went through some shit. You know what I mean? Like look at it, look at it from a different perspective and have a uh, have some fresh eyes on this and and have a fresh conversation. I also saw that your tweet about not not working with A-Rod in the future that there was something there. So, I'm very curious to hear about your take on that relationship and and where it is today. I mean, I agree with Hannah. Basically, Hannah vocalized how I feel about it. You know what I mean? Like I think it's too long. You know, they're they're in their mid 40s. Yeah. I think that uh one thing that's very important that Hannah points out is that Derek was a unicorn in the sense that he was extremely mature in how to handle the media than pretty much any player yep. in the league. It wasn't just Alex. It was pretty much everyone. Um, and I think that Alex didn't have that maturity when it came to dealing with the media. I mean, that's just, I mean, I, we all he know did. that that's the case. So yeah. um, I think 
they had two different objectives. They had two different interests when it came to, you know, the, the personality side, or I guess the, the stardom side or celebrity side of um, being a prominent athlete. Um, but at this point, I think they should just bury the hatchet. Like, I mean, it's, it's going on for too long. And I think them being on K-Rod was one kind of small step in that direction. That was awkward uh, as hell, man. That, that, yeah, that was yeah. awkward, awkward yeah. half hour. I think it's awkward because we're all looking at them and then you have like yeah. a third party there. You know what I mean? Like it, Michael K is there and I think that complicates things. But yeah, I mean, basically Hannah captures how I feel about it now. Um, I'm appreciative of both of them for being open about what was going on at the time, how they felt at the time. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm appreciative that A-Rod did it, regardless of whatever, like, little thing we got into, uh, which to me isn't that big of a deal. I know people are, like, losing their mind over it, but, I mean, that's what happened. I'm just well, saying what you happened. tweet something like that, people's minds are going to run crazy. I mean, if you're comfortable sharing, we'd love to hear what, what happened. But, of course, if, you're, if you want to keep it private. Yeah, I mean, I'll keep it private just because. All um, right, so I can I mean, concoct was, scenarios in my mind then. Yeah, that's fine. Uh <laughs> I mean, I don't care. I did, did, people can concoct away. It, it didn't, the response doesn't bother me. Somebody asked me, well, actually, multiple people were like, do something on A-Rod. And the first answer was, I, it, it won't happen. And then I explained why. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that was a follow-up tweet. But, um, yeah, I don't I – don't, I'm appreciative that A-Rod did it and that he came and that he was a part of the project. To he me, that's to way more important. It. Yeah, for sure. So – you can't tell the Jeter story without A-Rod. Do, did you get the sense that Jeter was – let me rephrase. The amount that A-Rod was a part of this and the, and the relationship between Jeter and A-Rod, is that something Jeter was comfortable with or do you think maybe it was too much, too little? Like, curious about that whole dynamic because he was – I think it evolved – I think it evolved over time. I think when he first went into it, I think he just wanted it to be addressed like at one point and then move on from it. But that wasn't the history that they had. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think this is just me speaking. I don't think Derek realized how much of a influence Alex has had in his life. You know what I mean? Like they've known each other for over 20 years and they met early on. They had their conflict with the Esquire thing, and then all of a sudden he's on the Yankees. So there's no way that you can separate it and just like distill it to one moment. There were multiple moments throughout their career that have to be touched on because they're so intertwined. Um, and I didn't realize how much they were intertwined until we started doing it. Like when you look back on it and you start chronicling it, I mean, yeah, you're right. There's no way that you can separate the two from one another. I mean, they're they're connected. So uh, I don't think we would be doing the story justice if we just said, oh, okay, here's the Esquire thing and then pretend like Alex disappears from Derek's life. I mean, that's not what happened. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's reflective of just their journey together and it's long and complicated and we tried to show as much of it as we could. It seemed like they were okay as teammates for a, a little while. Maybe that also coincided with winning in 2009. But it just seemed like every time Jeter got to a place of acceptance, maybe A-Rod would do something else that was like, okay, here we go again, whether it's the PED stuff or, or the, the Michael, uh, the, the Francesa debacle at, you know, at the end when he got suspended or like, 
you name it, A-Rod's doing something that Jeter's probably looking sideways at. Yeah, but I I mean, I think we were all looking sideways at one point. You know what I mean? It's just like this is a circus. And I think Alex has been, to his credit, open about the fact that, you know, he created a, a circus around himself and that, you know, a lot of it was driven by his decisions. So I think I don't think Derek was different than a lot of people. I think it's surprising because Derek's admitting to it now that, you know, it was a huge pain in the ass, um, but I think it was a huge pain in the ass for everybody involved. I mean, I'm sure when it was happening, we all had the same reaction, whether it was the PDs or the Francesca thing or kissing yourself in the mirror, you know, <laughs> I mean, the list goes on and on. So uh, I think Derek had the same reaction that most of us had uh, at the time. That's the thing. I mean, he was the, uh, he was the polar opposite. He was the, the polar opposite of everything that, that Derek Jeter, um, you know, portrayed or, or, you know, what was important to him. Like it was all about the, the, the team and team, um, go wrap this up a little bit, man. A couple of things. Uh, I'm curious of two things during this whole process. Did you unpack, uh, I mentioned this at the beginning of uh, the top here. <clears throat> I didn't realize, I think, I know the, what Derek Jeter was to the New York Yankees, and I know how you know how big of a, a Yankees fan I am, and how the Yankees have played a, a big part in my in my life. Just they've been they've been there the whole time. Did you, did you realize that that he was or that he portrayed something different than you? Did you come out of this a, a little different in in who he he was during that time as you were watching him growing up? Um, and then two, the second question to that is, are you? Are you now in the inner circle, or 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 has that has that or has that changed? Because you know, once there's like one misstep, and you're like, God damn, I know, I know, one misstep, and and uh, and this dude's gonna look at me side eye, and it's gonna be different, and it could happen at any moment. Are you on guard like constantly because? Oh no no no. I don't know if I'm in the inner circle or not. Uh, I think we're friends. Yeah. Circle of I trust, think, I should say. Maybe not inner circle. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I think good. so because, you know, I was entrusted with his story and I think we represented him well. So uh, in that sense, yes, uh, for sure. <laughs> uh, I'm not on guard. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, I'm not going to all of a sudden trash him for no reason. You know what I mean? Uh, so uh, I'm not worried about that. But in terms of his impact, I you can't really tell when you're making it. I think it's important yeah. for people to respond to it, you know? So yeah. I've gotten so many uh, messages from people that either saw people in the film that were lost loved ones. Uh, a lot of people telling me that, you know, they lost a loved one or a friend and this reminded them of people that they care dearly about that are no longer with us. Um, people reminiscing about New York at that time. So I don't, I don't think I could really like fathom it um, or could fathom it until people started engaging with it. You know what I mean? Because everybody has such different experiences uh, with that time and with Derek that I, I, you know, I just, I wouldn't have been able to, to grasp it. You know, I know how I felt. Um, but again, I was also like telling the story. So I was trying to, as much as I could to remove my fandom from it because I didn't yeah. want that to jade the story. For sure. Um, but I'm just happy that people respond to it the way that they do and that uh, it makes them happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, that means a lot. Well, to for me, at least I'll speak for myself. Happy. Those were happy times as a, as a child watching baseball. Those, those were happy times. So that that's what I think a lot of people in our age 
range are going to feel watching that documentary. And I, and I think you don't have to be a Yankees fan to appreciate it. I've told fans, uh, Red Sox fans in my life, Mets fans in my life, like watch it. Like you're, I think you'll How think it's interesting. <laughs> I don't think anyone's listened yet, but I'm, I'm trying, Randy. I'm trying. I'm trying to get nah, people to watch this fine. <laughs> Oh, no, I know a lot of Red Sox fans, Mets fans that watched it. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, so do I. Uh, so I, I wasn't, I mean, we made it for everyone. We didn't make yeah. it just for Yankees fans. So, um, 2004 is obviously very popular with, uh, Red Sox fans. Not as much. That, uh, that was a Yankees tough episode. Fans. That was a yeah. tough 15 minutes, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, we made it for everybody because I think that was just a great time for baseball. Yeah. Um, it was the best. And, yeah. That yeah, two year stretch sure. will we'll probably never be matched in our lifetime, but thank oh, you. Yeah, that was great. Thank you so much for joining us again. Awesome job on the documentary. I, I loved Thank it. You. I'll probably watch it again at some point. Scott, anything else you'd like to say? No, man. Yeah, just to just to keep throwing some uh, some flowers this way. You, you, you did a hell of a job. I think you represented the, the whole, just everybody well for who who grew up in that time, man. And uh, just yeah, it was it was definitely uh, you know I don't have to tell you this something something to be very proud of. It was it was awesome. I can't wait Thank to you. I, I can't really wait to show it. my son when he gets a little older and can actually digest it more. Thank you. I appreciate that, guy. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com